At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Newish. Everything's changed, have you? Where we're celebrating that in Christ, we have been given new life. The only question is, are you living it? Let's turn to Romans chapters five through seven to decipher whether we're living in Christ's freedom or trapped in the patterns of our old life. retreat to experience a spiritual high, an emotional fervor that he's present with us right now in our hearts as we are found as his children by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, move in our hearts now. Anoint us to hear and see and experience the goodness of your word today, the power of your presence through the Holy Spirit of the living God. Jesus, may we see you for who you truly are. May we see you high and lifted up. May we see you beyond uh, a folk religious Jesus. May we see you as the Jesus of the Bible. May we see you as the Lord of Lords and King of Kings that is high and lifted up, that has defeated sin, death, hell, and the grave, and is reigning victoriously forevermore. And you are our advocate. And you are our intercessor. That is who you are, Jesus. And that's where we want to be. And I thank you for the privilege of your presence. So please, remove distractions from our minds today. Remove any strongholds that the world may have on us as we have walked in here. I pray liberty today for our minds. I pray liberty today for our affections, for our passions. That you would cause us to be passionate about your word. If only for the next 35 minutes that we may see you. All we need is one touch from you. All we need is one word from heaven. So I pray that you would speak now, Father in heaven. We love you. We praise you. It is our prayer that we want to be where you are. Welcome us into your presence. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Together we say amen and hallelujah, church. Yeah, come on. Uh, kids, you can be released to kids' ministry. If any kids want to go, you're welcome to stay, or you can go to kids' ministry. Thank you so much, worship team. Can we bless God for the worship team leading us in a, a word of worship? Well, I'm glad to be uh, back uh, here in the pulpit on a Sunday morning. I want to say, first of all, just thank you uh, that Woodside Pontiac is not a church that depends on the personality of one man or one family, uh, that we depend on the personality of Jesus Christ at Woodside Pontiac, and we depend on the agency of his word, not the words of one preacher. So I'm just so grateful that my family was able to go on vacation and to experience sabbatical and uh, take some personal time as we learn how to integrate our new family. And I'm just proud of our church. I love our church. We went to a couple other churches in Illinois, and all it did was make us miss this church more. More. Amen? Amen. Right. So I'm just so grateful to be here standing in front of you uh, today. And, you know, as I talk about us being gone for a few weeks and now uh, back in the saddle, as someone has said to me today, um, change is a really hard thing for all of us, right? That we have a difficult time adjusting to change, no matter what it looks like, no matter if it's big or small, big changes like 
moving to another state or moving out of the country or even a small residential change like moving around the corner on the same block. It still presents changes and there's still difficulty in adjusting. Again, big, small, or even beneficial changes can be hard for us to just adjust to. That if you get a promotion at work, typically that's a good thing, right? But even in that, there can be change that we have to adjust to. There's different expectations. There's different layers and levels to changes that we have difficulty adjusting to. Some changes are even humorous in their nature, right? Like, uh, how many of you have ever complained about your operating system on your phone updating? right? That it runs an automatic update. We're so upset. We're like, I can't believe they would do this. Why would they change this? But it literally exists to make your phone better. It exists to make things easier for us. But there's tragic changes also that are difficult to adjust to, like the loss of a loved one, like hearing someone has a terminal illness. Change is difficult for us across every level of humanity. As we continue to study Paul's letter of the Romans, as we are in this series called New-ish, with the subtitle of Everything's Changed, have you, uh, we're going to look at this rich passage, learning the change of newness that God invites us into, that through condemnation of the human race, justification by the word of God, sanctification through Christ's Holy Spirit, all because of the finished work on the cross, there's this change for all of those who put their faith, hope, and trust in God. So would you turn with me as we go to Romans chapter 6 together. Uh, we're going to pick up in verse 8, right where we left off last week. And in this passage, we're going to encounter a battle of change. A battle of change that is raging in all of our hearts, and we are seeing it manifest in our lives in so many different ways. And the change is from living up under the oppressive and dominating power of sin to living up under the love and liberating power of God. So it's a change in who we are living under, but we are always living under the power of something. Through Christ's finished work on the cross, we are offered this change of complete and utter newness to live under the power of God. But an iteration of our big idea today that even though we have this new life, even though there is this beautiful newness offered to us by Christ, sin is still a power that seeks to master us. Sin is still a power that seeks to master us. This new work continues throughout our Christian life and change can be tough. Amen? Change can be tough. So we're going to look at three ways today that we can escape the familiar yet powerful assault of sin in our lives since it is a power that still seeks to master us. And I want to invite you to go back to the first week of our series, that when we opened this series, New-ish, on the 5th of September, if you can go that far back, right, into the codex of time. It's only a few weeks ago, but it feels like ages ago, where I stood before you and I said that God is a God of truth, and the place he has to meet us first is in our mind, that we must know who he is, right? So we're going to look at these three truths today, three things that will help us escape this assault of sin, sin still being a power that seeks to master us. So the first thing that we need to do is know. Point number one, know that Christ will never die again. Know that Christ will never die again. That may even just sound strange to you right off the bat, but we have to start here. We have to start in our mind as we are in the sixth chapter of the book of Romans, starting in verse 8. We're going to read 9 and 10 right now. Is everyone there together? 
Romans chapter 6, verses 8, 9, and 10. If you don't have your Bible in your lap or on your phone, the words are on the screen behind me. Uh, But it is so, so important that you are reading the Bible for yourself, not just today, but throughout the rest of the week, that we must be eating the Word of God for ourselves. You can't just get fed uh, once a week and expect to survive or thrive or grow. We must be doing this ourselves. Amen? Romans 6, verses 8, 9, and 10. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Know that Christ will never die again. Now, again, this sounds strange. Even even this, you might be just ready to brush off point number one, like, okay, yeah, of course he won't. We get it. But are we knowing it, then believing it, then acting like this? When we placed our saving faith in Jesus, he gave us a new identity from Jesus. So knowing that he will never die again is something that we have to be cognizant of and we have to live according to because when he died, if we are tied to him, if we are in Christ, we died with him. Now, we're going to continue to get here, so don't hang up on me. I'm going to repeat myself over and over and over again because Paul repeats himself over and over and over again. And as readers, we should notice how Paul is continuously with this repetition because like any good teacher, he knows that... uh, or any good parent, uh, saying something once doesn't necessarily mean it's absorbed. Any parents want to give a hearty amen to that? That's right. All right, real good, right? So we need to understand this repetitious truth that is basic to our understanding of who we truly are in Christ. Not what we think about ourselves in Christ, not how we feel about ourselves in Christ, who we are. It is a fact of who we are in Christ, to be united with him, living the life of the Spirit. And throughout this series already, you've seen these differentiations, right? From death to life, from disobedience to obedience, right? From slaves, as we're going to see uh, outlined next week. Eddie Cartledge, our deacon, is, uh, one of our deacons is going to preach next week about being a slave to righteousness now, that we still are slaves, right? We were slaves to sin, now we're slaves to righteousness. We're living up under this from Adam to Christ, from condemnation to justification. It's the same message over and over again that Paul is out outlining to us, but he's showing us the richness that we need to know. And in verse 8, he restates the basic proposition that if we've died with Christ, we'll also live with Christ. Some of us who have died with Christ, we need to get busy living with Christ. We need to stop getting hung up on some of these old things. And we need these reminders often in our lives, right? Because uh, the saying goes from a Greek philosopher, the only constant is change knowing that things are going to continue to change. And I know many of us, you know, I'm not going to give any personal examples or pick on anybody. Maybe I'll give one personal example and pick on myself as, you know, kind of par for the course. But how many of us have ever uh, said, I'll never go back to that. I have changed. I'm brand new. And then we went back to that. Or that I will never do X again. It's different this time. But I replace it with Y. Right? That our changes seem to be short-lived at times. Our changes don't often seem to be 
permanent. We have some permanent changes in our life. But this is why Paul is telling us that Christ will never die again, right? Freedom, that we don't ever have to fight for this kind of freedom again. Though we may have smaller causes in our lives that we have to continue to fight for freedom and give things up for freedom, for freedom in our lives, this kind of freedom has been granted to us finally forever. I remember when I was 16 and I got my driver's license, right? Real freedom was finally afforded to me. I was out from up under the oppressive rule of my parents who let me do basically whatever I wanted to anyway, right? So you know what it's like to get a driver's license and now the world is your oyster. You have freedom. Nothing can touch you. And then a police officer's lights touched me from behind and I found out just how free I was, right? That yes, there was a change in my freedom, my status, but it came with some stipulations or restrictions on it. We have an often necessary need for reminder with this consistent change in mind. And Paul gives, again, this reminder over and over and over again and this astounding claim that really, like, can't even be fully or accurately illustrated. I can stand before you and say Christ will never die again, but even that statement has so much in it. As he says, Christ never, he doesn't need to die again. Why doesn't he need to die again? Why, if we have given our hearts to Christ and we have experienced massive change, and then we fall back into our flesh? It feels like we want to put Christ up on the cross again and he needs to be crucified again, that we need to go through this massive thing again in our life. But his death isn't like that, church. His death was so sweeping the first and the last time that he'll never have to do it again. That he'll never have to change something uh, on the cross in our lives again. It was finally forever finished on the cross and it will never have to happen again. He fully resolved the sin problem on the cross for all who are in him. Because the work was done and dealt with so completely, he'll never have to do it again. There's no reason for him to be resurrect from the dead only to die again. He did it once, finally, forever. That he rose to never die again. That Christ's death and resurrection is so sweeping that it will never have to happen again. Peter puts it this way in his first letter. He says, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh and made alive in the spirit. Paul is longing that we would know this, friends, that we would truly know this. You know it's cold outside, so you dress appropriately. You know that, uh, you know, if you're going to be walking on gravel, that you need to wear shoes, otherwise your feet are going to get hurt. You know this because you've experienced it. But with this, it comes with confidence and belief and trust and security and things that we ought to know that will never change. And if Christ died completely on the cross, why is it that we continuously kill ourselves? He did it. He took it. He got beat up. So you don't have to beat yourself up. Now, am I saying that we shouldn't feel bad about sin? Absolutely not. Nor is that what Paul's saying, right? It, because grace abounds, should that mean, does that mean we should keep on sinning? Absolutely not. By no means, he says. But I think so many of us we need this constant reminder because so much change in our life is not permanent. But the change from dead to sin to alive in God through Christ is permanent, is complete, is final, and we must believe it, that it's bought and paid for fully. So many of us have our Christianity on consignment. 
or it's on layaway, that, right? We put it away and we're going to come back and get it one day. We've got something laid down here and then we're going to finally get it. But no, it was bought for, bought and paid for in full. It fully belongs to you on the Christ, on the cross. If you're united with Christ, this emphasis on his complete victory ought to fill us with confidence. And yes, we know we continue to struggle, right? Yes, we know that the day that you put your faith in Christ, wherever it was, whenever it was, your life did not turn into sunshine and rainbows for the rest of your life, right? There have been bad times, there have been hard times, but that ought not ever limit Christ's death in our mind. That ought to limit our opinion of ourselves in our mind. That his death is final and forever. His death is still good enough, amen? The cross is still enough. The cross is still sweeping enough that he doesn't have to go do it again. We need to get in line with it. Our identity in him, if we have been crucified with Christ, is final and complete, and we can experience the never-ending work of the Holy Spirit, but we need this continual reminder. We need to reassure by the knowledge that he will never die again, reassure our hearts, reassure those around us, reassure our very environments that it's done forever, and it's constantly enough. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's not, yes, Christ died on the cross, and the next time I go to men's retreat or women's retreat, that's when I'll recommit my life to his crucifixion. His crucifixion is full, forever, and final, and we have to know that. And if we have this constant confidence, then again, it should cause us to consider ourselves. If we understand truly what the cross meant, that it was final, that it was sweeping, that it will never have to happen again, and that if we are with Christ, in Christ, yoked to him, buried with him, living with him, then we should consider how we view ourselves. Now, church, this is where uh, it gets personal. Everybody say, it gets personal. Consider yourself dead to sin is point number two. Consider yourself dead to sin. Know that Christ will die again so that knowledge ought to cause us to consider ourselves dead to sin. Verses 11 and 12 read this. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin. It's not an option, friends. You must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Now that we know Jesus defeated sin once and for all on the cross, will never die again, doesn't need to re-up his commitment to us, doesn't need to uh, come out with a new edition of the cross, right? It is always in style. It is always in season. The crucifixion is once and for all. We ought to embrace with all seriousness that we can possibly muster up the fact that we too have died to sin once and for all. If you are in Christ and he never has to die again, you have died to sin once and for all. That should cause one person to shout hallelujah. <laughs> like the, like the, the reality of what this is. And I think that because we've been in church for a long time and the letter of Romans, maybe you've heard preached over and over again, uh, this stuff should just cause us to go crazy, right? When we see this, when we read this, when we understand this, when we know this as fresh for our lives right now and we're not dependent on some sort of emotional reaction, we see this and we're like, wow, I was in bondage. I was in handcuffs. I was in a coffin. I was in every restriction under the oppressive dominance of sin. But now I have a new chapter. Now the page is turned and it never has to be turned back again. The Christian life ought to be a progressive understanding of this, right? That 
right away when we get saved, right, we have this understanding. And, and I feel like God supernaturally downloads stuff into our life, especially those of us who maybe got saved uh, after we were cognizant of all the terrible choices that we have made, you know, at any point in our life. But we are dead to the appeal of sin, not Christ can make you dead to the appeal of sin. You are made dead to the appeal of sin. This is the truth. This is the reality about us. And we are alive to the joyful satisfaction found in Jesus alone. It's not just don't do this or you can't have that that used to satisfy you anymore. It is now I want to give you something that's so satisfactory to you that you get so much more of it. And this is what has been made alive in you through the Holy Spirit. And if it hasn't been, perhaps we need to have a meeting with Jesus, a real meeting with Jesus where everything changes. The very thought for the believer, the true follower of Christ, the very thought of sin should become increasingly morbid to us. The very thought of like sin enticing us and inviting us should like, it, you should start to get a feeling in the pit of your stomach. It should start to be like a little sick to you. And some of us know what this feels like. I see people shaking their head, right? Like uh, that many of us have probably had something we've eaten or, drinking and, eaten or drank in the past that we're like, I will never touch that again. And when you smell it, you're like, oh, oh, I can't. This is what, uh, some of you got real wide eyes there. I don't know where you guys went. I'm, I'm talking about like shellfish. Yeah. <laughs> but this is how it should feel and taste. And we should respond when we know that he'll never have to die again if we're tied to him, considering ourselves dead to sin. Now, this isn't like a make-believe reckoning, right? You don't need to like just muster up enough willpower to say, I'm going to do it. I can do this. My willpower, my presence of mind, my strength of, of choice. Now, you can't do it by yourselves. And we're going to continue on in this series where we're going to see our utter dependence on the Holy Spirit of the living God to do any of this. That it's only by the Holy Spirit, but we must believe it first and have the knowledge that this is something that is true and real to us. We're not supposed to pretend that our old self is completely gone. Yes, it's buried. Yes, we're a new creation in Christ, but we still have uh, things that sort of creep up, right? That, uh, but we, we have to realize and know and remember and consider that the career of our old self is over. It's ended, right? There has been a retirement. We don't need to relive like the plays of old. We don't need to show our highlight reel of when we were living completely under the oppression of sin. There is no comeback for this career, right? It's not like they change sports and then they're coming back. No, if you've been made alive with Christ, you're made alive with Christ forever. And your old self is done and gone and you truly are a new creation. But we must believe it, right? How many of us have said, oh, that's just the way I am? Not if you've been made new in Christ. He made you a new way. He gave you a new everything. He gave you new desires, but we've got to believe it. We can't believe in the little micro lies of the world that tell us that, yes, add Jesus to your life and you'll be uh, just a little bit better and you just can't do this stuff anymore. And all these lies that the world tells us about folk religion and folk Christianity, that is not biblical Christianity. The stuff that the world tells us about if we go to church, we have some sort of like morality step above other people, right? That, that's not what it is at all. If we are in Christ, we are dead to sin. That's what it is. That is the answer. We are dead to sin. And if we truly are, the world should look at it and say, wow, that's what I want. I don't want to be walking around with this, you know, ball and chain that I'm dragging around anymore. I'm not talking about a spouse, so don't go there, okay? Don't do that. 
Don't do that, right? You are dead to sin. Remember that. You are alive in Christ and dead to sin. But you know what it's like to have sin that clings so closely to you. That's why the author wrote it. Cast off the sin that clings so closely. We know what it feels like. Paul insists that the first place we live this out is a knowing that our freedom fighter will never die again and our freedom fighter today has completely and utterly destroyed sin today. Now, we are declared justified. We are declared righteous. We are not yet fully righteous, that there are still issues that we're working out while we're in this flesh, but we are declared righteous. So let's walk like it. Let's act like it, that our response to this truth should be a constant faith, that Jesus has made me new and he's going to continue to make me new moment after moment, second after second, day after day, because he conquered sin and death. He doesn't have to come to a retreat with me again. Now, are revivals important for us? Yes, they, they are definitely important for us. But the life that Christ offers does not need a revival, right? Now, we have to understand this, that revival is not necessary for the life that is in Christ. If we stay tied to Christ, we have revival all day, every day. We are revived, dead to sin, alive to God in Christ. That this is for us, bought and paid for, fully. You get it so much more. Now, I understand that it's hard. I understand being dead to sin and alive to God in Christ as Jesus is said to be himself in verses 10 and 11. It's hard, but there ought to be nothing further that we want with our own life. And when we get this, when we know this, and why I've spent so much time on these first four verses is because we have to understand this before we can even consider verse 12. If we don't understand verses 8, 9, 10, and 11, then verse 12 will just be words on a page. But if we get it, Verse 12 should explode off the page to us, right? If, if we understand this, verse 12 should like punch us in the face when it says, let not sin therefore reign, making you obey. Let not sin reign in your body, in your mortal bodies, making you obey its passions. If sin reigns, it makes you obey. If you are up under the authority of something, it is going to make you obey. Paul uses this political reference to understand our reality. Because if we understand that sin has been defeated decisively, how can it reign anymore? It can't unless we let it. Unless we are saying, yeah, I prefer the conquered way. I prefer the enemy that has already been beaten. So we're going to live as though sin has king, that sin still has kingship over our lives. Like, again, I'm just made that way, or I just need this so I don't do something worse down the, down the line. That is a lie if we're in Christ. That is a lie from the devil that is in Christ, because sin still seeks to master you. Sin still is a power that exists, and it wants to master you. It wants to rule you, but you don't have to let it because Christ will never die again and we need to consider ourselves dead to sin. Paul's emphasis on this knowing and considering should, again, should not believe us, should not leave us to say like, I got this. I can do this. Because no, you can't. You will lose. The moment you say, I got this, you should just go ahead and start making calls asking for forgiveness right now to whoever's around you, right? Because we don't. We need the power of the Holy Spirit, but it should stir by the Holy Spirit and build this intense confidence, this intense call to righteousness in our lives that our identity is his. If we are in Christ, our identity is Christ. It's an amazing privilege. 
that we're invited into. Paul's helping us understand the overcoming of sin. So as we consider ourselves accurately, if you're in Christ, this is all true about you today. True about you today. That you have freedom from sin's rule. That sin no longer controls you. That people who say, I have an anger problem. Yes, you can have an anger problem. But did Christ defeat it on the cross? Yes, it's done. It's beaten. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not going to struggle. That doesn't mean we're not going to go through it. But the, the problem that I see in, in almost all of our lives, honestly, is when we go through it, we then limit Christ. No, he didn't do anything wrong. His death on the cross was full, forever, final, completed. It's not him that's at fault. Who is it? It's a great time for admission of guilt for all of us. Let's, yeah, collectively, we can all say, it's my fault. Man, some of us are holding on tight. Wow, wow. <laughs> it's our fault. Amen. All right, we're all, we're all getting here, slowly but surely. Paul's helping us understand that sin has been overcome and we don't have to live as though it rules our lives. Amen. Hallelujah. Preach it, Pastor. Get, ex get excited. I don't, I don't need to get gassed up. I'm already excited. I came excited. I want you to be excited for you, not for me. Right? I say it all the time. I brought my own amens. I, she'll tell you. I got my own amens and hallelujahs. Sometimes I start saying stuff and I say amen. And she's like, what are you talking about? Who are you? I'm like, I'm excited about this stuff. And if we live excited about this stuff, joy and love are the most influential and impactful things that we can ever live with. If you live out of obligation, you die. The end. This isn't, what the, this isn't what freedom from the law is. This isn't what grace grants us. The freedom to live in joy and love because we've received a new life. Because we can remember our baptism like last week. Because two weeks ago how we saw that we are no longer only in Adam. We are found in Christ. That if Adam's death and sin brought it in everywhere, Jesus' victory over sin took it out everywhere. Because of this new identity, fully justified, but not yet perfected. And we need to consider who we really are in Christ. Now I want to talk about a, a movie uh, from, that was made in 1999. Um, so there's a spoiler alert that I need to mention, but if you haven't got it by now, since 1999, that's not on me, right? You, there's been plenty of time for you to see it. Uh, so this movie was, it was released in 1999, and the main character uh, is Bruce Willis. Uh, and uh, Bruce Willis is, is in this movie, he's one of the main characters, and uh, he is like an investigator, a police officer, and uh, the other main character is a young boy named Haley Joel Osment. Uh, and in this movie, the movie's called The Sixth Sense, and uh, there's a massive change, a massive turn of events at the end of the movie where Bruce Willis realizes the entire time throughout the whole movie he's actually been dead and didn't know it. So if you've seen this movie, you, it, it hits you and you're like, oh, wow. And for all of us here, I think some of us are walking around as though we're dead and we don't even know it. I think some of us are walking around and we're like, I'm doing all the right things. I'm coming to the early service at church. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. I'm not doing the things I've been told not to do, right? Don't smoke, drink, and chew, or... And some of y'all are new Baptists. <laughs> Run with girls who do is how you complete that. It's, a, it's okay. It's all right. It's all right. But I'm not doing that stuff. Why, why is it so hard? 
Have you checked to see if you're actually alive? Have you checked to see if you are truly made new in Christ? That it's not just I'm doing all the right things in my mind, but then the movie's going to end and I'm going to realize I've been dead the whole time and didn't even know it. This is the life that's afforded to us in Christ. Are we living as though sin is still the king? If we are living as though sin still has a dominance over our life, then friend, we are not living in Christ. We are not living with the full power of Christ, convinced of the full power of Christ. If this is true, if we have known that he will never die again, if we then truly consider ourselves dead to sin, consider victory is your life. Considering that literal victory over sin, you can walk in victory over sin. This is the life that Christ afforded to us. Did you know that with a life in Christ, sealed by the Holy Spirit, that you don't have to sin? Did you know that? Now, it, now, this is one of the hardest things in the Christian life because it's almost an inevitability. I would say it is that we're going to sin again. But we don't have to. That is actually available to us. This is why Paul is writing this. This is why Paul is saying, so since grace abounds, we should keep sinning? Absolutely not, he's saying. But we actually have a sinless life that identifies us and is available to us. Now, it is one of the hardest things to do as a Christian. The longer you've been walking with Christ, probably uh, the, the harder it gets that when you stumble over things that you've stumbled over 30 years ago. But you can actually live a life considering yourself dead to sin where you actually are dead to sin. This might be news to some of us. You don't have to live like that. You don't. We don't have to live addicted to things that are killing us. We don't have to live where we feel like, oh, I've got to do it because they're such and such. Or, yeah, we take the good with the bad because they're family, right? Now, I, now, I know some of that may hit too close to home for some of you, and that's okay, right? But righteousness is righteousness. Sinlessness is sinlessness. And it's available to us. So once we understand it, we know Knowing Christ will never die again. We need consistent reminders because our changes aren't often that permanent. And then we consider ourselves truly dead to sin. We have so many other considerations on our own lives today, but dead to sin is not one that I hear that often, right? Like, I consider myself to be a proud whatever sports team fan, right? And that's something we very much consider ourselves. And if somebody's like, they root for the wrong team, we're like, how dare you? Sinner. What is the matter with you? Like, they don't even know you care. They don't even know that you're cheering for them. They don't, they don't care at all. But we have these things we consider ourselves, or I consider myself a man, or I consider myself a woman, or I consider myself X, Y, Z. I consider myself to look a certain way, uh, have a certain thing. How many of us truly, and really in a paramount way, consider ourselves dead to sin instead of scared to death running from sin? We're running away from it because we're scared. And that's good, right? We want to be afraid of it. We don't want to sin. But that's not what we've been invited into. Has God anywhere invited us into a life of fear? No. Reverence, yes, which is a fear of one. We have freedom, though. So what do we do after we've known and considered? The only logical step is point number three. Present yourself to God. If you know it and you consider it, you believe it, Give yourself to God. Just give everything over. Let's read verses 13 and 14 as we wrap up today. 
Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but you are under grace. That we are no longer to place any of our members in the disposal of sin. This is what this means, right? So the word members can mean anything. Our physical bodies, our thoughts, our influence, our resources, all the the things that we have, faculties, capabilities, whatever they might be. Paul says, now, finally, don't do this. Present tense. Stop presenting is what it says. Stop presenting your members to sin. And then instead he uses a a Greek tense which is aorist in the Greek tense which means like finally and continually. So he says stop doing it right now. Stop presenting your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness and then decisively finally continually present yourselves to God so you can be used as instruments of righteousness. Paul is calling us to declare with a deliberate decisiveness our lives and every single thing we have are tools for the good and righteous king. Since we are united with Christ truly and considering ourselves dead to sin, united with Christ, it's only appropriate for ourselves to do this. It's only appropriate to give it all to God. His rule is one of life. Sin's rule is one of death. His rule is one that grants us good and beautiful and perfect gifts from above. Sin's rule only has ever granted us death and destruction. There's a totally new reality available to us. But we're living in the old reality, church. We're living in the me plus Jesus reality. The real reality is Jesus plus nothing is everything. The real reality is Christ lives in my life, therefore I have died, I'm a new creation. And he says we don't live under the law anymore, we live under grace. The law says you failed, you're broken, you can't do it right, and you never will. It's just the way I am. That's the law that we are free from. Say, I'm free from it. Grace says you're forgiven, you're justified, you're brand new, you're loved, and you're alive. You're actually alive. Not walking around as though we think we're alive, but we're actually dead. You have real life. Now, I want to go back to a word that, that Paul uses here. He uses a word that is it's instruments is what it says. Now, he's not strictly talking about musicians when he says instruments. Uh, that word in the Greek uh, is, is hoplon, which means weapons or tools, right? So don't give your weapons or tools. Don't give yourself and everything you have as a weapon or a tool. Hoplite is the word that's most commonly used here, uh, and it's somebody that is fully equipped with the weapons and tools to complete the task, right? So what is Paul saying to us? And let's put this in in a modern day realistic example illustration for us. If you have someone in your life that you know brings death and destruction to you, that you know almost always brings harm to you, are you going to offer them weapons? I got slapped in the face in seventh grade by Chucky Franklin over a flag football game, right? I'm not going to give Chucky Franklin a bat and be like, hit me with this instead. I'd prefer that. But this is how we live our lives. We live our lives presenting our instruments to something that we know is going to hurt us. How many of us allow our phones to be used as instruments to kill us? How many of us allow uh, the people on the other end of the phone to be used as an instrument in our life that is killing us? 
and we are presenting ourselves to do this. But there's a choice when you know and consider, and then you get to present it. We are the ones doing the presentation, church. We are the ones presenting ourselves to certain things. We are the ones saying, yes, take it. Take my body and let it sin against me. Sin? We're the ones doing this, but we have a choice. If we know and we truly consider ourselves dead to sin, then we don't have to offer ourselves to people, places, and things that have proven themselves hurtful and destructive to us. We don't have to do that anymore. We are free. So today, do you know that Christ will never have to die again? Today, do you consider yourself dead to sin, or do you consider yourself a good person who may not sin that much? We are dead to sin, church, dead to sin. So if we understand these things, and I'm just going to call everyone out for the four people that said yes, right? Take notes from them, right? We can present our mortal bodies. We can present ourselves. Everything we, can, everything we have, we can present it to righteousness. It doesn't have to be, oh, I'm going to take the good with the bad, or I got to do this, or I got to do that. No, you don't. You don't live under that ruler anymore. You don't live under that defeated king anymore. Think about this on a national stage, right? Think about if a nation defeated another nation in war and then gave all of the weapons they had to that other nation and said, thank you for letting us beat you. We'll probably see you later. Think about, like, does that make any sense? No, it makes no sense. But we do it with our lives. We do it with our bodies. If you are in Christ, you have known sin because you've repented of sin and you've been made new, free. So you understand what it is and what it does to you. So please, today, friends, will we embrace this identity as alive in Christ? Will we present ourselves to God for righteousness? Will we take every moment, every opportunity, every word, everything that we have, all of our resources, all of our tools, and present them to righteousness and watch what happens in our lives? God does not need any of your intellect to run your life. God does not need help planning the perfect plan for your life. All you got to do is obey and present ourselves as righteous to him. Present ourselves, everything we have, to him. So think about the words you use. Are the words you use being offered to a good, wise, and righteous king, or are they being offered to a lesser king? Are they being offered to a lesser ruler? Think about the words that we use anytime, at work or at home. Who are we giving those instruments to? Think about the way we cope with pressure. How are we doing that? Are we coping with pressure by substances or disorders or things that we continue to hold on to because we just can't otherwise? Or are we living up under the rule and authority and dominion of the king that only wants good for us? I know it's getting harder, church. I know it's getting a little closer to home here. Do your finances reflect the generosity of your God? Or have we subscribed to the the notion of self-ownership? Like we own anything. The clothes you got on are going to end up in the dump one day. The money in your pocket is going to get out of your pocket one day. You could say amen to that. What are we embracing? How are we considering ourselves? We've been offered total freedom from Christ, by Christ, through Christ, and then ultimately in Christ. But sin is still a power that seeks to master us. So how are we presenting our members? 
How are we giving ourselves? Everything we have. Are we giving it to the defeated nation that we already beat in a war? Are we giving it to the young man that slapped you in the face on the flag football field in seventh grade? Are you giving it to maybe even let's get a little closer to home? Are you giving it to somebody that enables your drug addiction? Are you giving it to somebody that enables your uh, negative uh, lifestyle choices or lifestyle habits? Or are you offering it to people that advocate for your walk with Christ? It doesn't matter how popular you are. How, people that advocate for you, truly. People that actually want the best for you. Did y'all know that you could have friends that actually want the best for you? Did you know that exists? Isn't that amazing? It blew my mind when I found that out. I was like, for real? There's people that want to be around me that care about me? Really? I'm not just a good drinking buddy? I'm not just a guy that knows that it's good to watch a football game with? There's people that actually care about what my life is going to look like? This is real for us. We can present our members to those things. We can present our members. We've been offered total freedom, but sin is still a power that seeks to control us. So the worship team's going to come back up here, and we're going to sing a celebratory song because uh, some of us, I know we may not be in the mood to celebrate, but we're going to convince ourselves to celebrate. Sometimes you've got to put your body up under the Holy Spirit's authority in your life. If you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit's in you, right? And sometimes you may not want to celebrate. Put your hands in the air, start clapping your hands, start stomping your feet, and get excited, right? Because this is the joy and love that's offered to us, that's available to us. You don't have to live up under the oppressive rule of sin anymore. You don't have to live up under the oppressive rule of Satan anymore. You can live up under the liberating love and grace of Jesus Christ. That is our life. And we can consider ourselves alive to this and go out of this place and live alive. And not just get excited and say amen and hallelujah when the pastor's saying, come on, y'all. But no, on Tuesday, when your boss yells at you, you can say amen, hallelujah. I don't live up under any authority other than the liberating authority of Christ Jesus. Now, he put that boss in authority over your life, amen. So submission to him is submission to God. So we got to accept this today. And it's not just for people who are in Christ. Now, I commonly am trying to convince folks that think they're in Christ to really be in Christ. That's, that's, that's really kind of what I'm commonly doing at church. You know that. If you come to the early service, chances are you think you believe in Jesus. And you, you may believe in Jesus also. You may be fully sold out to him, right? Many of us in this room are. I see them. I know you. We labor together. I get it. But there's a lot of folks that are just around, and if we were really following Jesus, our church would look a whole lot different. If we were really following Jesus, our communities would look a whole lot different. Our neighbors would feel a whole lot different. But So, yeah, give, I'm not sure why you're clapping, but... Um, I'll, maybe I'll get it on the way home. Um, <laughs> amen. But it's also for people that aren't in Christ. This is available for you today, right now. You don't have to get right first. He's the only one who will get you right. You don't have to clean yourself up before you do this, because you can't, and you never will. I hear people all the time, oh, pastor, I'll be back in church. I saw it at the Secretary of State just this past week where uh, the woman said, I'm going to be back soon. I got a few things I got to sort out. I'm like, I'll see you when I see you. I'll probably see you next year, right, when I'm back at the Secretary of State again. And I'm not mad at her. I'm not, I'm not picking on her. I'm not saying she's doing anything wrong. I'm just saying she's been told a lie. And people like us need to tell her the truth and say, no, sis, we need you right now. Right here, right now, Christ wants you, and you are free. 
So come get free. So we're going to sing a song. It's a, it's a really exciting song. So I want to invite everybody to stand up to your feet. And even if you don't believe this, you get to proclaim this over you as the worship team proclaims this over you. It's one that we've sung a number of times here. And I want, I want to get everybody excited. So you know, start clapping your hands. Come on. Yeah, start, start shaking your arms out. The song's called, I Am a Friend of God, right? So you are really a friend. Of, he really thinks that you're his friend. And you're not a slave anymore is what it says. No, I've called you friends instead. So we can get excited and allow this excitement to boil up over the kettle out into the world, right? That we are no longer dead to sin. We are made alive in, in God through Christ. We can know that Christ will never have to die again. He doesn't need to fix something. We need to fix something by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And then we present ourselves and everything we have to him. So let me close us in a word of prayer and let's get excited as we sing and worship our King. Father in heaven, I love you. I thank you. I praise you. I trust you that you're doing something that only you can take the credit for, that you're doing something that you and only you can do. May we give it all over to you. For those of us that have been walking around and not knowing whether we're dead or alive, may we have an authentic touch from you today. For those of us in this room, maybe that have been walking downtrodden, defeated by sin and death and hell, may we believe that the victory of Christ is done and is enough for those of us who maybe haven't had joy or love in our, in our head, in our hearts, in our mouth, coming off our lips. May it change today. May it change right now. May we realize that real joy is available to us. Despite our earthly situation, we have real forever eternal joy available to us, living in us, and it's controlling us right now. So we want to offer all our worship. We want to offer and present consistently, decisively, deliberately, our mortal bodies as instruments to righteousness. So may we worship you in righteousness today. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And everyone, give them a shout of hallelujah. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.